Device Nation. Greetings and salutations, Device Nation. You're home for the greatest show on earth, and we know that show is Medical Device Sales with ideas, stories, and interviews to help take you from good to great. This is Kevin Brown, your perfectly aligned voice in times of varus deformity. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time out to spend with us today. We've got a great show ahead. Dr. Matt Barber is going to be speaking to us, orthopedic surgeon from L.A. Anybody from Mobile knows that joke. We would always say that when we were young. Where are you from? L.A. L.A., yeah, Lower Alabama. And we always thought that was funny. Maybe it's not so funny now, but it was at the time. He's got some great things to tell you today, so hang on. As a quick diversion, many, many, many years ago, I was making calls on hospitals in eastern North Carolina, and one particular hospital I called on was spelled B-E-R-T-I-E. So you think about how would you pronounce that. I went into the purchasing department just to nose around, and ran into the purchasing director, and I said, ma'am, I have never been to Bertie County in my life. And she said, it's not Bertie, it's Bertie. And I said, well, thank you, Teresa. I didn't know that. She said, it's not Teresa, it's Thursa. And what is your name, young man? I said, Kevin, thinking that would be cute. Well, it really wasn't. She just stared at me. And things got kind of awkward from there. So the takeaway from that is sometimes when we try to be cute, things can go a little sideways. I knew a surgeon walking out of the OR with a rep that he had a deep, deep relationship with. They did all these things together. He told the rep, you know, I really don't appreciate what you said in the room today. I don't think it was funny at all. And I'm switching companies. And the rep protested and said, but we're friends, you know, we do this together, we do that together. And he came back with something that I never forgot. He said, well, if we were friends before this, then we'll be friends when I'm not using your stuff. The takeaway point, by the way, they did not remain friends, duh. The takeaway is resist the urge to be cute, especially for people like me that always seem to have a stand-up comedian microphone in their hand ready to entertain the crowd. Let's talk about last week, relationship selling. We redefined it for you. Let's go back to last week and do a quick review. We talked about relationship selling and defining it, defining it, because we cannot have any part of us that engages in relationships strictly because what we can get out of them, right? It leaves a bad taste in their mouth because they can smell it and know that they are being played. What we're going to do this week is talk a little bit about the practical application of that. What does it mean to fertilize and water that plant called a relationship? Again, a quick legal disclaimer. I am no Dr. Phil on this. I I don't know a lot about this subject, but I do know a couple things that seem to work, whether it's in this job or at home. And that's kind of another sideline, is that when I first started this podcast, I wanted to name it device in life, just because so much of what we do in this job translates to what we do outside of the operating room, and today is absolutely no exception to that. So let's look at a practical example. 
So for those of you who are anagramophobes, today is not your day because I've got yet another one. It helps me, so just be patient. Set. Set. It's ironic that today's word for you is set because I really, truly believe in my heart that if you grasp these three things, you are set in terms of your relationships. Now, another legal disclaimer, you can do all these things and things don't really work out the way you wanted them to. However, again, that's not why we do it. We do it because it's the right thing to do in spite of the result. It's the right thing to do, whether it's at home or in the operating room. The S, the S stands for subordination, and it has a really close cousin called service. We're going to talk about that one today, and then we're going to open up the last two ones on the next episode. Empathy and time. Subordination, empathy, and time. Subordination. Let's look at the dictionary and see what it has to say and define it and just kind of build on it from there. The action or state of subordinating or being subordinate. Well, that doesn't really tell me anything. I like this one, inferior status or position. So subordination to me, and for the purposes of Device Nation today, is the voluntary placement of yourself into an inferior status or position. So let's go to the other S word. My kid one time, it was so funny. She said, uh, she was like four, and she said, Mom, so-and-so used the S word. And we're like, what was the S word? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that kid said that. And they were only like six. She goes, stupid. So this, <laughs> this is a good S word, service. So how is service connected to subordination? It is subordination. When you do your job, and our job is to service our accounts. Our job is to service the hospital. The job is to service the HCP and ultimately the patient on the table. We subordinate ourselves to everything to make sure that that function gets done and done in an excellent way, right? Service, whether it's putting together implants, whether it's making sure you've looked at the x-rays and making sure everything is there, making sure that you are there, all these things come together to actually feed the relationship side. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but think about it for a second. When you subordinate yourself, you are telling the person across the table from you that I care. What's important to you is important to me. And when you fail on the service front, you are sending the message, rightly or wrongly, that you don't care. And it is toxic to a relationship. I've seen many a rep come through my life that overslept for cases and didn't have all their stuff together. And the nurses really did not want to be around them. It's almost like they had leprosy. It was like they had the coronavirus and everybody put on face masks around them. Well, why was that? Because they were sending a message in that relationship environment that they didn't care as much as the person across the table cared. Cannot do that. Service is critical to a relationship. The act of subordination. When I walk into that OR, everybody else is automatically more important than me because I am a guest in that hospital. One of the acts of subordination is subordinating what happened before you got into the hospital. In other words, let's say you had a bad morning. Let's say something's not going good at another account. When you come into that hospital all dark and Debbie Downer, then you bring those people in with you on that, and it really is all about you at that point. The act of subordination covers a lot of ground. It covers your attitude when you walk in. I'm going to subordinate everything 
to make sure that everybody that crosses my path today in this hospital walks away with a peaceful, easy feeling, as the Eagles once said. Quick review. Subordination. What's important to you is important to me. Think about what are the practical applications of that. When I'm in the room, the circulator helping her within the scope of service that's allowed to me by that hospital, I am going to do it. I'm going to pick up the garbage off the floor. I'm going to push my instruments back for them. I'm going to bring the instruments into the room. I'm going to put the instruments back together at Central if they seem overwhelmed just because I want to help them out. I'm going to do anything possible to serve everyone around me with a smile. With a smile, I'm going to subordinate my stinky attitude that I may have had that morning and make it all about them because they need a smile today. A lot of people, and I'll say it again, a lot of people have hard lives and have difficult things going on, and we need to be that bright spot in their life and subordinate the difficult life that we may be having to make them happy that they talk to us today. And then lastly, on a practical note, on the service side, you have to be 120%. you got to be perfect. And for no other reason to communicate to that account that, hey, what you're doing here is important to me, and it's so important that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure this case goes off without a hitch and that there was nothing that got missed. I had a surgeon refer to this as, we can't have loosey-goosey. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that word. Loosey-goosey is anathema. It is poison. It is toxic to a relationship. It is so toxic. It says, I don't care, even when that's the last thing on your mind. And perception is reality. Good stuff. So I am thankful that Dr. Matt Barber from Mobile, Alabama, chose to subordinate his time for Device Nation and come visit with us a while and talk about what is interesting to him. I think this guy is one cool cat. He's really into a lot of the technological aspects of joint replacement surgery, something I am totally excited about and love to hear people talk about. He is very good on the social media front. You can find him all across the table on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Check this guy out. BarberTotalJoint.com is his website. Welcome to the show, Dr. Matt Barber. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Appreciate you uh, having me on. I really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, your busy Mardi Gras schedule this week, Doctor. My pleasure. Uh, now, this is going back because uh, I lived in Mobile for a spell, but correct me if I'm wrong, is not Mardi Gras originally based out of Mobile? It originated in Mobile, and a lot of people will... Uh spend a lot of time and energy pointing that out to you. It uh, did not originate in New Orleans, uh, although they certainly have a large celebration around it. Yeah. And I imagine everybody in Mobile is glad that New Orleans gets all the attention. Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) I remember way back when, and again, this isn't going to be a trip down my memory lane, but uh, uh, the moon pie was what got thrown from the floats and everybody just went nuts over it. Does that tradition still hold to this day or is that, that gone? Nope. Still part of it. Still part of it. It's it's amazing. The physicality involved with people wrestling over a humble moon pie. There were always a few uh, ER visits associated with that back when, uh, when we were residents, we would see a lot of those patients. Uh, I want to hear, how originally your journey took you into orthopedics 
and and then just kind of work our way back from there. Sure. Uh, I went to medical school not really knowing what specialty or subspecialty I wanted to be in, uh, even till uh, very late in the game, really as a, as a fourth-year elective. Had some inkling that I wanted to do something surgical, and then once I rotated on orthopedics, it was – it was obvious at that point uh, it was what I wanted to do. Uh, subsequently ended up being able to acquire a residency spot. And during the course of training, just gravitated toward what I liked more, uh, which was was more open surgery uh, rather than, than arthroscopic stuff. And uh, joint replacement enjoyed very much and was was fortunate to be able to to train in that and then do that as a career. Dr. Barber, you have a great website, by the way, uh, barbertotaljoint.com. I encourage all my listeners to check that out. Uh, you highlight a lot of technological innovations that, uh, that you utilize in your practice there. And, and I'm just curious, have you always been attracted to the technology more as a uh, technology for technology's sake, or is it the submillimetric corrections that are afforded through this stuff uh, in pursuit of perfection in these cases? It's an interesting question. I think it's something that's evolved in my practice, and I just enjoy what I do very much. And so that spills over, and I always want to be learning. I always want to know what's new. And and there's a danger with that of picking up some of this or gravitating to some of this just because it's new or because the technology seems really cool or really interesting. Uh, I want it to be meaningful. You know, in other words, it really needs to affect change in what we're doing and make things better. I don't want to do it just to do it. Uh, but I, I think that it does give us a lot of potential to make things better. And I think as some of these technologies evolve, we're going to see which ones win and which ones really do make things better. Hopefully, we're going to have a lot of good avenues to to test and to verify those things and see what's meaningful and that's going to make things better for patients. And I, I just love being able to move the needle in that direction. A, a surgeon once told me, nothing ruins a perfectly good case like long-term follow-up. And I think <laughs> I could probably coin that same phrase with uh, nothing ruins perfectly good technology like long-term follow-up. Do you have that natural sense of uh, hesitancy? Is like, Let's just see how this thing works out before I adopt it or... Do you like to, to jump on exciting, shiny new things? It, it's both. I'm definitely usually not the first to pick something up. I want want a chance to think about it and evaluate it. But sure. no, I think we're all definitely looking for things that can make things better. On the subject of making things better, I'm just curious. Uh, on your website, there's a lot of information about custom customized implants for patients on the knee side. I'm just curious what's been your experience with that? Has it has it made things better for you? What are your uh, what are your thoughts on this technology? Yeah, uh, custom implants have been been good to me over the last few years. Uh, I think that my patients seem to have done well, you know. That that's one of those things that it can be anecdotal and is it a it is, is it a byproduct of selection bias on my part? Is it really motivated patients who sought me out for this technology and so they were going to do well anyway? 
but I will say that it has been a a very efficient system for me in the OR, and it, it I think does a lot of things well in terms of what we're looking for from our knees in terms of balance and stability and alignment and some of those principles that sort of cross over regardless of how you're doing a knee. We've got these underlying principles that that we feel pretty confident are important and that we're trying to get to. And it's been a good way to do that in my practice. Now we're going to see if that bears out over long-term studies and, you know, multi-center studies and potentially uh, randomized studies over time. But um, so far it's been a, been a good experience. Now I've seen that platform on the uni side and I see them rolling out uh, that platform on the hip side. Have you had a chance to, to try either of those? I've done that with uh, uni compartmental. I have not done the hip. I have uh, trained on it, if you will, and have looked at some uh, earlier iterations of those instruments. Uh, and I, I think there's actually uh, probably some some pretty pretty good upside with that as far as its potential use, but I've not done the hip yet. Uh, a dear friend of mine was in that space and uh, showed me the instruments for the knee. I, I thought it was cool, uh, but I'm, I'm nerdy that way, but I just thought it was really, really cool stuff. Uh, well, I'm absolutely nerdy that way. And I, I think that it is cool stuff. And in this, that particular instance, you're talking about, customized implants but you're also with that company but also with others you're seeing i think a renewed interest in patient specific guides especially with the high number of procedures that are going to be moving into outpatient surgery centers and the uh the need for really efficient instrument sets and the need for reduced sterilization uh, is going to not reduce sterility, but reduce volume of instruments to be sterilized is going to make those even more attractive and more interesting. So I think you're going to see a resurgence in the uh, patient specific instrumentation, even if you're using a uh, conventional implant. I was going to get to the ASC uh, stuff later, but I've got to ask right there. I mean, I can see where the the custom instruments can really help as we're seeing more cases going into surgery centers, and they just don't have the floor space for everything that we're bringing in. So I could see that as being a real benefit for them. They don't. I mean, there are some some monster. 12, 16, 20 room surgery centers out there that are, are pretty well set up to do this sort of thing. But I, I think the far majority are a lot of two room and four room ASCs all across the country that are, are otherwise very capable of doing very reproducible, very efficient, safe total joint procedures. But if, if not for some technologies like this, they're going to be looking at a lot of capital cost in terms of uh, bulking up their their sterilization departments, uh, if they even have the space, right. to your point. What, what are your thoughts on doing hips and knees in a surgery center setting? Is that uh, 
Is that a concept you've bought into or have reservations about it? Or uh, I'd be curious. No, I think it's a very validated concept at this point. I think that anywhere that it's, it's not being done, it's really just a matter of regulatory issues or logistics or things that are, that are all going to be sorted out. And I think for even probably a much higher number of patients than we realize right now, it'll be a very viable option going forward. What are your thoughts on robotics while we're talking about technology? Uh, do you utilize those in your practice and, and how is, uh, uh, what kind of success have you had with it so far? Uh, I do utilize that in my practice, and I think robotics is one of those things that has a lot of potential. Um, I've had uh, success with that. Uh, it's it's you know sort of what we talked about with customized implants. It's another very viable way of trying to get to some of those end goals. I think it has the potential to make us more reproducible you can with knee you can follow that down some other avenues of of kinematic alignment and what does that mean but the technology uh, has a lot of potential to it because you see it in every other industry so i think it's a little but it's it's a little unclear why you would expect that to not translate over into medicine, especially with some of the successes that have gone on in uh, general surgery and urology and other medical uh, subspecialties around robotics. It's evolving. You know, we're uh, maybe at the Model T stage with robotics and in orthopedics and maybe not even that far along. It's really as cool and as neat as we think it is, it's early yet. This is going to to get substantially better as it evolves, and it's going to have a lot of potential, hopefully, to make us better and to make us more reproducible. I, I agree. the The question that's always hanging over my head, and I'm sure you've thought about this as well, is as the the money coming into the system uh, seems to be trending downward as technologies come to market that are more and more expensive. At at some point, there comes a a value proposition you have to consider. 100%. And I think that's a big sticking point for a lot of people that want to be uh, very anti-robot. I think several companies have have been in the, the robot selling business, if you will, for a little while. And that that's going to go away, uh, certainly at the price points that those have have been sold at. Uh, it's going to be a tool to try to sell implants and to try to retain and capture market share. Um, the, the current prices for some of those systems are are untenable. Exactly what you said with the money coming into the system, it's not going to support those types of numbers, in my opinion. And I'm, you know, there are smarter people than me working on all that. A lot of opinions out there on that subject, uh, and certainly on a subject that you brought up earlier, and I just got to go back to it because I got to ask you about it, Uh, kinematic alignment. Have you fooled around with that? And I'd love to hear uh, what you think about it. 
Uh, yeah, I have done a little bit uh, with robotics. Uh, I think it it definitely has a lot of potential. I mean, we uh, off off air or offline talked a little bit about that. Um, certainly, the uh, the study that I believe it was Mark Pognano and the Mayo Group uh, put out several years ago, uh, where they really you know did not have higher failure rates with some of their their alignment outliers has been the sort of the thing that's underpinned a lot of these discussions. And if we, can we make a a more balanced, more stable knee uh, by leaving or tolerating some amount of varus or valgus, uh, or maybe even going back to some varus on the tibia, some valgus on the femur and some of these oblique joint line type constructs that were, uh, proposed even back in the 1980s. And I think it's an interesting concept. You're seeing the, uh, I guess what's even referred to as a reverse kinematic alignment with some of that joint line obliquity. And it, it's a wait and see thing. We're, we're just now going to have some some real data on that. And that, that is the thing that robotics and that, that patient-specific guides will give you is some some real data about alignment that's CT based, both pre and post operative, or at least the CT portion is pre operative, and you know from the uh, registration and the robotic uh, data that's gathered intraoperatively what what alignment things went in at, and then that'll have to correlate the follow up data of how those patients are actually doing. Sure. Uh, when I talked to Dr. Dasa earlier, he was uh, sharing with me about some of the uh, preoperative and uh, postoperative pain control regimens that he was interested in these days. And I'm just curious, uh, what are you using in your practice and what, what's been working for you? It, I, I've probably done most all of it at varying times, uh, some spinal, uh, some general anesthesia, We've done uh, periarticular injection cocktails, done single shot uh, adductor canal blocks versus adductor canal blocks with an indwelling uh, pump. Uh, I really kind of believe that there are a lot of ways to do that that can be very successful. If you look at at some of the big centers around the country that are doing uh, very successful outpatient arthroplasty at substantial volumes, you know, it varies. I mean, some places are, are dosed mepivacaine spinals with the block for everyone or Xperel and other places they sleep every one of them and do something different with their, their block. Uh, I, I suspect there are a lot of ways to get there. Put your future cap on. Where do you see, uh, your business, where do you see your practice at five, ten years from now? Do you see uh, technology coming that's going to uh, kind of turn the dial, so to speak? Or do you see just more and more of, of perfecting the same? Or well, what do you see coming? Ooh, that's a wide open question. Uh, five or ten years, obviously, there are a lot of joint replacements that need to be done. Uh, just, to, you know, we know from population data that there are a lot of patients that need these procedures. So we're going to be doing more of them. 
We're going to be doing more of them in an outpatient setting, and we're going to be evaluating technologies to try to get better results. I'm not married to robots. I'm not married to patient-specific implants or patient-specific guides or particular protocols. It's really got to all be driven by patient care. And then in a, a value-based environment, it's those things that you talked about earlier is which things really move the needle for our patients and which ones are, are cost-effective. And, and that'll get sorted out very gradually as we go. I agree. I think this ASC uh, ruling has really changed a lot. So we have yet to see the full ramifications of, of it. There's no doubt. I mean, this this all... Obviously, there are people that do a lot of these that are saying, oh, this is not the future. This is happening right now in my practice. And some people are in the process of making that transition. And some people are still a couple years away from it. But, you know, I mean, if you if you go back or even for guys like me who have older partners, they remember doing ACL reconstructions in the hospital, which at my hospital, you probably almost couldn't find instruments to do that now. I mean, those are all done at, in outpatient centers and that transition that was very new and scary at the time is, is run of the mill now. And that's going to happen with joint replacement as well. Dr. Barber, there's a lot of reps that listen to this podcast. And I was just curious if you could uh, just share with them your perspective from the other side, working with reps uh, if your kid was going into medical device sales, you know what advice would you give them? And and as you've worked with reps from all different companies uh, over your career, what what stood out to you as uh, things that made one particular rep great? What made another one good? You know, any of that stuff that you could share, I think, would really help help the audience. Sure, uh, you know, and I've never been a rep. I've worked with a lot, but uh, I think. Probably the biggest thing going forward from here is going to be flexibility is just showing up and working hard and trying to bring value to whoever you're working with, whether that's a, a surgeon customer or an ASC or a hospital um, and, and being flexible, it just always being being honest and being in it for the long haul, uh, because so much changes. I mean, so much is going to pivot as far as which companies have market share and, and what what devices are being used. And it's it's all being uh, commoditized right now a lot. And so I think being helpful and available and, and flexible in that regard probably goes a long way. That part of the business has never changed. Uh, people, yeah, do, yeah. people do business with people. And at the end of the day, like you said, the constant among it all is is that person in the OR that's bringing value to the the stakeholders in that procedure. So that's that's great advice. Well, I think you're going to see so many mergers and acquisitions and companies buying other companies and, and things turning over and hospitals and hospital systems that move to to particular implants, but and parts of this that, that may get uh, sourced to different technologies, but you know, are are you 
are you helping everybody involved? Are you bringing value? Uh, I think to your point, that doesn't change. Yeah, I love your uh, flexibility line. I had a pastor friend once say, uh, blessed are the flexible, and I've never seen that phrase more appropriate than right now because uh, things are changing and, and changing quickly. Yes, they are. Dr. Barber, thank you so much for being on the program with us today. Appreciate your insights, and uh, will I be seeing you at the Academy this year? Not this year, but I'm sure we'll uh, run into each other at a meeting somewhere, Kevin. Awesome, sir. Thank you so much for your time. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Barber absolutely nailed it. It really is about being that rep that brings value to the hospital these days. And how do we bring value? Well, the S word is certainly a huge component of it, subordination and service. Try this at home this week. Report your clinical data. I know it's going to go awesome. Everybody likes it when people make it all about them, right? I really appreciate you hanging out with me this week. Uh, I'm very thankful in advance, if you could subscribe and write a review, very appreciative of that as it helps other people find the show. This is Kevin Brown saying, I hope you have an awesome week this week. Good selling and good day. Device Nation.